This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser from Bloomberg Radio. Let's get into a conversation on protecting our democracy just 11 days away from the presidential election. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster is with us. He's got a book out, Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. He joins us on the phone from Stanford, California. Um, it is so great to have you here with us. We're going to talk about the book, but I do want to ask you, uh, General McMaster, First of all, how are you and what's your world been like over the last six to seven months amid the virus and the shutdown? Well, well hey, thanks, Carol. I, I, you know, I, I feel very fortunate. I mean, we're in a good place here. We, we uh, were able to draw in one of our daughters, my son-in-law, and our twin grandsons. Uh, they're with us, and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm one of the fortunate few that can work remotely and teach remotely. I taught a course at the Graduate School of Business here remotely, had a had a great time doing it. Not as good as in person, but but fortunately, we've been able to continue to interact with people, at least on Zoom and so forth. And uh, we feel very fortunate. Thanks for asking, Carol. You bet. General, you know, when we think about our foreign policy, our military role in the world post-World War II, it's been a pretty consistent theme of internationalism, to, for lack of, of a better word. That seems to have taken a 180-degree turn in the last four years, i.e. put America first again. How do you view our kind of foreign policy and our military positioning? How do you think it should be in this world where there's not just where the Cold War has been won, but now we have lots of other uh, issues, as you mentioned, including China? Right, Paul. Hey, thank you. In, in Battlegrounds, I describe this as a lack of strategic confidence. We, we lack confidence in our ability to, to implement a, a sustained, reasonable and sustainable foreign policy and approach to national security. And I think it, hopefully what we've learned from COVID-19 is that threats that develop overseas are dealt, best dealt with early. You know, once they reach our shores, we can only cope with them at an exorbitant price. And of course, this was our experience in 9-11 as well in connection with the threat from jihadist terrorism. But what I'm afraid of, Paul, is that we, we saw the 1990s as a period of of optimism, over-optimism, maybe even hubris and complacency about threats that we faced. And then in the 2000s, you know, we, we suffered a series of strategic shocks, 9-11, unanticipated length of, and difficulty of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the, the 2008-2009 financial crisis. And our confidence now is, is shaken. And, and I think what we need to do is restore our strategic competence as the first the first step in restoring our competence, our confidence in in our foreign policy and our ability to build you know, a, a, a better future for generations to come. But your book also deals with, you know, U.S. approaches to some of the challenges on, on a global level that we have seen. And, and you say specifically that resulted in missed opportunities that have left us at a strategic disadvantage. And, and you get into it. You know, what have been our biggest missed opportunities in your view? Well, Carol, these are, these are missed opportunities associated with what I describe in the book as strategic narcissism. Our tendency to define the world only in relation to us and assume that what we decide to do or choose not to do is decisive to favorable outcomes. And the problem with that is we don't acknowledge our, our competition. We don't acknowledge that others, rivals, adversaries, enemies also have authorship over the future. And so we define the world as we'd like it to be. And in connection with China, for example, we assume that China, having been welcomed into the international community would play by the rules uh, and as a prosper would liberalize its economy and then and then ultimately liberalize its form of governance well china under the chinese communist party and xi jinping is not doing that it's doing quite the opposite 
So we needed to shift our policy from cooperation and engagement to a more competitive approach. Three administrations in a row harbored this illusion of, of a better relationship with Vladimir Putin uh, and, and, and that just you know, reaching out to Vladimir Putin would would almost have the effect uh, as if he were the Grinch, you know, on Christmas Eve, that his heart would grow two sizes larger, that he would stop his campaign of sustained political subversion against us. And, of course, that's not the case. And I think the deficiency that's in common, you know, from China to Russia to Iran to North Korea to the problem of jihadist terrorism right. is, is, is that we don't acknowledge the, the agency that others have and we don't think enough about the ideology the emotions and aspirations that drive and constrain the other. General McMaster, we have about 50 seconds, then we're going to do some news and come back. But I just want to just quickly ask you, who do you think is our biggest threat right now? Is it Russia? Is it China? Is it the Middle East? Who is it? It's the, it's the policies and actions of the Chinese Communist Party and a very sophisticated campaign of, of what I describe in the book as co-option, coercion, and concealment. And so we have to be much more effective, much more effective at defending against this campaign, but also strengthening our competitive advantages so we and the rest of the free world can, can compete more effectively. General, uh, one, I'd like to just take a quick look at Russia. It's, it's been an, you know, how do you view their view of the world and how we should counteract that to the extent we need to? Is it better to go against Russia with allies or go one-on-one -on -one or to, as this administration is trying to do, to kind of, I guess, curry some favor uh, with this uh, uh, Russian leadership? Well, hey, thanks, Paul. You know, what I think it's important to understand what's driving Vladimir Putin, because Vladimir Putin is Russia's policy right now. And, and what Putin is driven by is this sense of honor lost uh, at the, at, at, with the breakup of the Soviet Union and, and our you know, victory, the free world's victory in, in the Cold War. And what Putin is determined to do is to restore Russia to national greatness. Well, you know, he doesn't have a lot of material to work with. Of course, he has a huge, dangerous nuclear arsenal, but his economy is about the size of Texas's economy or Italy's economy. So his theory of victory is to drag everybody else down under the theory that he can be the last man standing. And the way that he's doing that is to polarize our societies with cyber-enabled information warfare directed against us. This is a, this campaign of, of, of disruption, disinformation, and denial he wants to he wants to pit us against each other in a way that reduces our confidence in our common identity within America, within countries in Europe, across the EU, um, and then and then reduce our confidence in our democratic principles and institutions uh, and, and processes. And I think what is needed is is a concerted effort to expose this behavior, to counter this behavior, but then also to restore our confidence in, in ourselves, so that so that this this campaign doesn't have the effect that it, it has been having on us. And, and to answer your question, it's best done, obviously, with partners and with allies and, and really fellow victims uh, of this aggressive campaign. What I describe in Battlegrounds is your Russian new generation warfare. And of course, I, I don't believe, <laughs> I don't believe that, that any kind of an accommodation uh, with, with, uh, with Putin's going to happen. Uh, I think taking a conciliatory approach is going to be futile. And, and the story that I tell in the book is how three different administrations took that approach. You know, remember, when George W. Bush said he looked into Putin's soul. Remember when Secretary Clinton you know, brought the reset button to Geneva with Lavrov and President Obama leaned over and said to Medvedev, who was keeping the seat warm for Putin, hey, you have some more flexibility uh, after the election. And, and, and we you know, withdrew missile defenses, for example, from Poland. None of that worked. And, and 
and I, and this is why I think you know President Trump should should come to this conclusion. You know, he's already late to the game on this. That Putin's right. not going to be our friend. You know, he's just not going to be our friend. Well, and I do. I don't want to get political. I don't want to point fingers. You know, fingers. And and you were you know national security advisor from 2017 to 2018. So you know during the Trump administration. But I do wonder, you know, what kind of signal it kind of sent said sent to the world, um, General McMaster, to see what seemed to be an alliance between the commander in chief here in the United States and Putin. Well, it, it wasn't in the law. So here's here's what I think we have to do. First of all, the president's statements don't help, especially when he draws into into question the fact that Russia is engaged in this sustained campaign of subversion against us. Did in fact attack the 2016 election, mm-hmm. and and I think that what we have to be first of all to, to counter it. Hey, just don't be our own worst enemies. I mean, I tell the story in Battlegrounds about how both political parties in 2016 compromised our principles so they could gain partisan advantage over the other. That's a big mistake. I think the other important aspect of this is to, is to in, at least as we look back at this period of time and we defend ourselves today, that we don't either deny Russia's, you know, Russia's attacks on us, which the president does from time to time, or say they determine the outcome of the election, which we can't say either, right? And, and so, again, I wish we would just work on this together and recognize what Russia really wants to do is reduce our confidence. I don't, I don't think... You know, I don't think they care, you know, who wins our elections. I think what they care is that a significant portion of Americans doubt the legitimacy of the result. What's the state of our cybersecurity in this country here? It's become such a huge issue, particularly from the 2016 election onward. Right. Well, uh, well I'll tell you, Paul, it's much better. It's much better. And, and you know, I, I, was, I was happy to have a hand in this, a small role in this, and, and working together with the departments and agencies uh, to, to ensure that we're more effective in cyberspace. We can compete more effectively in the recognition that a good defense requires a good offense, too. So, so the authorities that our cyber warriors have are, are much more significant. There's also been very significant developments in terms of securing cyber infrastructure. There's an organization with very capable people who have worked on that. They've worked on that in connection with the election in particular. And as you know, we have a, a very decentralized system uh, but but there are federal standards and there's a lot of good collaborative work going on between the states and between the federal government. So I think we should have confidence in our election. Now, offensive cyber against infrastructure, that's still a very significant threat. Cyber enabled information warfare is a significant threat. Cyber enabled crime, such as the, as, as ransomware that, that North Korea has become uh, particularly adept at, is still a huge threat. So what we need is a continuous effort. Because this is a battle that battle is right. not going to go away, right? As soon as we get better in one area, our adversaries adapt and, and, and take on uh, new techniques and develop yeah. new capabilities. Well, we are definitely living in interesting times, and your book really takes us through um, the regions of the world that we really need to be sitting up and, and paying attention to. Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster, thank you so much. U.S. Army uh, retired general, former National Security Advisor, on the phone from Stanford. Check out his book. It is called Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World, and uh, a really timely conversation 